0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the next live Ask Us Anything session. My name is Frans Adunorop, and together with Ronny De Jong, we are hosting these sessions every month. There will be a live Ask Us Anything about different topics regarding workplace security and other interesting stuff. If you have suggestions about topics or have other feedback, please let us know. This time it's all about Microsoft Ignite. We will discuss several announcements that are done three weeks ago in the spring edition of Microsoft tech conference called Ignite. I'm not doing that alone. This week, my buddies from the Workplace Ninjas Netherlands user group are joining me. They are Kenneth van Zurgsem, Erik Loof, Arjan Bakker, Bob Cornelissen, and Adnan Hendricks. So welcome guys. This time about Ignite. We have different parts in the sessions. We start with workplace management and identity, and we'll finish with some security topics. Before we start, what do we think of the keynotes, Kenneth?
1: Is there something interesting from you? Well, to be honest, I didn't watch the whole keynote, but what we do see, and that's quite interesting, that actually that virtual world and uh, how that's being used is becoming more and more a reality. Too bad with the current lockdown that we aren't able to use that technology at the moment. So uh, maybe we should hope for the extension of the lockdown so that we can start using it as well. Interesting uh, to see. And um, I do see the use case when we are talking about the uh, sample gaming industry, etc. But I do wonder myself in my work within five years if I will actively use this technology from that point forward.
0: And Eric, was there something from your side that was interesting in that area? My opinion about Keynote... It was really a vision keynote
2: about the terms tech intensity, which Satya also used the last online Ignite version. Artificial intelligence and virtual reality was a mixed reality, how they call it, was a main topic. And they show some Microsoft Mesh things, which are things from the future. But it was all about the vision, customer success stories, but not really for the tech guys, some whole new things. Or uh, that was my opinion about the keynote. So the content must come from the, the SIP sites and
0: not from the main keynotes anymore. Talking about Mesh, new artificial intelligence and so on. Is there something that we are going to use in our normal day job or do we think completely other stuff, Adnan?
3: Well, you know, with me also doing training in a lot of these things, I see that in places where you need to be in different locations at the same time. So you're going to have different groups and you could just combine that virtually. And it's got that nice game effect to it as well, you know, with virtual reality and HoloLens, artificial intelligence. You know, the use case where I have kind of thought about it, especially one that stuck with me was the one where American doctors are helping doctors in Africa. During surgery, so they can train these inexperienced guys and also the working engineering, you know, in those factory offices with these dangerous locations where you don't want too many guys around. That's where I can see the good business applications, you know, the training and
0: workshops and those
3: kind of stuff. So pretty interesting.
0: Interesting view on that because in our normal day job uh, with security and workplace management, it's not a big thing, but especially for training, if we look at borders, country borders, we can remove them with MASH and with the techniques that are completely within that. If we look at workplace management, I have a few statements and at first I want to drop them. And then we will have a discussion on the different topics. But first, the statements, it's true or false? No explanation that can be done later on. If we look at identity and passwordless, I don't know my password because I don't use it anymore. It was a statement from last month also. But how is that for us? Adnan, for example.
3: Well, you know, the funny thing is to get into this meeting, I actually didn't know what my meetup password was anymore. So it's something that, it's just been, you know, with two-factor or having saved your password or using something like passwordless, which I think some of us are already using. So that's not entirely new for us. But, you know, changing your password, it's always been a lot easier now. So I don't think that that's too much of a problem.
0: <laughs> now, and Kenneth, do you know you're still
1: your password? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah. For all yeah. the different <laughs> accounts? Uh, yeah, I have so much accounts, so the most important password is actually the password to enter my password manager nowadays. But I still think it can become quite a mess with all those different passwords and actually forgetting them. And therefore, yeah, of course, uh, things like self-service password reset, etc., can help. But I still think that passwords will still be a thing for the next couple of years to come. But it starts with having the techniques available to say goodbye to passwords. And I think especially with the announcement uh, that within the next couple of months, you can actually remove your password in Azure Active Directory from your account. Then all the four steps are there so that you can actually start your journey towards uh, passwordless. And Eric, your password, do you know them? I
2: reuse the same password on everything, so uh, I have only one password, it's very easy. (laughs) Now, uh, passwordless, remember my password, what I see with a lot of customers or some kind of rules they have from the past, we have to reset our password every 90 days, for example. This is just a rule. They had it in their documentation and they still rely on that. So passwordless for your main identity, that is more and more a common thing. But you have to also guideline the customer to the new era where you, for example, say only change the password if you have a password when it's on a darknet website, for example, one of the recommendations from NIST nowadays. So that is very important that you also have your written documentation about password, combined with your passwordless joining. And what I see now, we have enabled MFA and then, oh, every 30 days, 60 or 90 days, you have to reset again our password. That's not what's the use case anymore. And that's my idea. Uh, That's changed also your password reset procedure with the new technology. And that's not something what is very common, what I see. So that's not connected to each other. That's what I see in the
0: field. Looking into passwordless, it's not only removing your password, can it? It's announced as GA. What is it exactly? What are the authentication options do we have in that area?
1: We uh, can, of course, log in uh, using our authenticator app. Instead of actually providing your password, you're actually prompted with a uh, code which you must confirm on your authenticator app, for example. We have other uh, ways to sign in as well, but I think the best example here is actually configuring Windows Hello for Business on your uh, Windows 10 device, because then uh, you can actually use either the pin code or uh, biometric methods to do actually a multi-factor logon uh, to Azure Active Directory or any other identity provider you have configured at that point in time. And what you see more and more is of course, the usage of uh, external security keys, but they do have some disadvantages, in my opinion, because they cannot be used in each use case. A USB key cannot be used on a device which doesn't have USB, for example. And not every device has NFC connectivity. Or there are many reasons where a security key is not useful. But I'm certain that will change in the future, of course. And
0: if we look at temporary access pass, that is a new feature. What is announced? How can that help driving that passwordless strategy?
1: Yeah, so the idea of the temporary access pass is that you can actually create a temporary passphrase for a user with a time to live. And you can also specify how often it can be used. By default, that's one, but you can say, well, you can use it more than once. You can use that one-time passcode to actually enroll in multi-factor authentication. And then uh, you can, for example, use it to enroll your security key in this case or uh, make sure that the authenticator app works. And that is an important thing to have if you want to enroll users without a password from the start. So the temporary access pass makes that scenario possible.
0: Yeah, if you look at the common scenario where user accounts are created months ago or weeks ago, upfront they are within the new company we can do that without or with an explicit long password and then require to have a second factor always as when log on remotely and we can facilitate them
1: with the temporary access pass to re-enroll or enroll within the second factor solution indeed i think that it should be the way forward to actually onboard new users into your environment Simply use temporary access pass and make sure that they enroll both in MFA and if they still need a password, also make sure that they can set their password as well.
0: And you already said something about removing passwords fully from an Azure AD or from the whole environment,
1: eliminating passwords. That is something coming? Yes, Microsoft actually made a statement that they will release that in the first half of this year. So that cannot take long. And that will actually you will have the option under authentication methods in your security registration to actually remove your password from that point forward.
0: I think that's a nice feature that is coming. So let's keep an eye on that. And if we know something, we will inform the community within our social channels, of course. If we look at the identity, the next part is conditional access to secure your environment. What were the announcements around conditional access at Ignite? Can it?
1: Microsoft announced they will implement authentication context for Azure AD conditional access. And that basically means that you have far more granular control on when conditional access is being triggered. So for example, if you download a sensitive document, we can then create conditional access policies where you are actually, for example, triggered to do an MFA if you want to download that sensitive document. Well, maybe another document in the same SharePoint workspace doesn't have that trigger. We can do the same, for example, when you activate an administrative role using Privileged Identity Management, where we can actually use the same functionality to trigger, for example, to say, well, you can only do this on a device which is compliant, for example or trigger an MFA request, or do an extra check on identity protection, whether the signing risk is on a certain level. And for example, for users, you can say, well, with Medium we allow it, but the signing level for an admin must be low before we actually allow you to elevate your rights to, for example, Global Admin in that case. The functionality is not there yet, so they announce it, but it's not available in preview yet. So we really need to start playing around with the functionality once it's in preview to get an idea of where it can help. And it will also be interesting to see whether it actually will integrate with that other functionality, where actually the conditional access functionality can be triggered quite fast. It will be interesting to see what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah,
0: interesting to see that we can extra secure sensitive data or sensitive roles within an environment with an extra step of verification. I think that's a good step forward and looking forward to have that in the environment so we can play around with the new functionality. Indeed. If we look at more workplace management, I think Universal Print was announced general availability. What is Universal Print? Is there someone who can elaborate a little bit more on that? Upnum probably.
3: It's basically just allowing you to be able to print from the cloud and not only just the Windows devices, but also from Azure AD, Azure Active Directory printers or registered printers. Uh, This is still a service that I need to fully look into it because you still need to be licensed correctly for that. It's an extra paid service. So um, we'll still have to see how it really works with uh, specific vendors. So far, Brother, Canon, Epson, HP, Minolta—all the big players like Ricoh, uh, Xerox support that Universal Print. So we'll we'll have to find the one that doesn't work in one of our environments once we uh, do testing. But it allows secure printing in zero-trust environments. So,
0: and if I look at the Universal Print solution, it's focusing on a hybrid and not on cloud-only uh, environments. It okay. isn't it? Well, it's pretty much for things
3: like a OneDrive for Business, web, hybrid environment.
0: Erik, some info that you have in addition to that? Yeah, more uh, some
3: questions,
2: maybe not <laughs> special information, but if you are now deploying in a modern workspace, then most of the time you need a third-party printing uh, solution. The most common known uh, in the Netherlands is And My first suggestion was like, it's being the next FS FSLogix, it will be bought by Microsoft, but it's not bought by Microsoft. So that was my first opinion. Now they say we're going to integrate together with FS Logics. But there is also some really strange downside on the Universal Print. That's not about the licensing, but also you have to pay per page. So that is a new model which they introduced. So I'm very curious what customers think about that. So Universal Print is a a paid service and you also have to pay for the number of pages print. So that is difficult for uh, small medium offices to uh, tell them because in the normal legacy environment, you have a print server and you're done. What's the position of Printix now? What's the position of Printix within a year when Universal Print is more adopted than common? So that's uh, more questions I have than solutions, but that's uh, something that bothers me uh, about Universal Print how this gonna work out because they're working it for years now and it's not there still uh, there are some pitfalls so what's now really the end goal uh, end game of printing and printing is a huge issue uh, last week with the patches which uh, didn't work so printing is always a hot topic still this so my question is printx now printx win in a year universal print versus printx and what about uh, the printing tickets about paid-per-page model, uh, licensing model?
1: It's a new thing for me from Microsoft site. can Kenneth, probably you have some of an answer on that. Yeah, well, it's, of course, a lot of questions, but uh, that's something I, uh, of course, know from uh, Eric, so uh, don't worry about that. But what you did see is that actually a lot of manufacturers were already offering universal print solutions on-premises as well, where you actually pay per page. So uh, that's not something new, but of course, with this introduction, it will become more common to do so. On the other hand, in my opinion, printing doesn't belong to a modern workplace anymore. And therefore, maybe letting companies pay for printed pages might be a good incentive for them to actually start thinking about phasing out printing as a whole. We'll have to see. The requirement is still there. I do see it. But personally, I didn't print a document uh, for a long time and I have a nice printer beside my desk, but I hardly ever use it. If I use it, I use it to actually scan documents to digital, which is the other way around, of course.
0: Yeah, and I can agree with that, Kenneth. Besides that, universal printing nowadays, it's more focusing on hybrid and the roadmap ahead is also adding cloud printing like Printix into that area. So there is more to come, but that needs time. If we look at the identity, workplace management, are there other announcements from your side that you probably want to address? Is there someone who has a key thing that is interesting to discuss? Otherwise, we will move on to the next section. The next section is about security. Erik, I have one statement for you. If we look at patching, Downtime, is it still needed in
2: 2025? 2025, I think it's still uh, still needed, but it's less important. Because what you see, uh, we are moving uh, much more to services, of course. During this meeting, maybe Office 365 Exchange Online is already patched three times. We don't know anymore what's the version of Exchange Online which is running now. Uh, so that is the world we live in about services. In that world, it's fixed, patching. But for example, uh, patching is still important. For example, and a hard thing. Because uh, look at all the exchange uh, things. If you know security patching, how many companies didn't patch their exchange services after the shit hits the van, uh, as we call it. So patching is still a hard thing. Microsoft addresses is also. One of the announcements just before Ignite, to be honest, is new server 2022. And it has hot patching. You can patch it without any reboot and hopefully also that you can roll back the patch also without a reboot. So then you have a really good patch mechanism and I hope it will also bring down uh, to the Windows 10 OS for the users. So one of the great announcements about the new server OS is hot patching. So if everything is moving to the new server OS, which is gonna be happen because server 2012 R2 is also becoming end-of-life sooner than we expect. And we are still struggling with server 2008 R2 for some companies. So patching, upgrading is a big thing. So uh, this is a a nice addendum. And in 2025, I think patching is still a thing, but because of more services, it's less important.
0: And if we look at the last few weeks with Exchange, uh, Hafnium, and all that sort of stuff, The new versions, Exchange Online, and all that stuff was not impacted. So patching and upgrading is huge important, not only at servers, but also on your applications that you are using. Are there other features, key things on the server operating system that is important, that is good to know? Bob, maybe you can have a view on that?
4: Well... I was first wanting to answer also about the last point, the hot patching, but also something which is now coming in the auto manage, which was also released not that long ago, which is basically a service where you can combine different things in one. So, monitoring, patching, updating, change tracking, log analytics, it's all kind of combined in one. And that can be applied to machines that you are running in, for instance, Azure. But I think through Arc, you can actually also connect uh, internal machines to that service, as long as they uh, conform to a number of compliancy uh, items. For instance, a version of Windows. It's not going to include 2008, for example. So that is, I think, something very important, which is very interesting, and might also apply to other servers outside of 2022. The other thing which I thought was uh, interesting is, of course, they try and focus on security. Well, they are doing that a lot, and uh, we will be hearing more of that in this section. Also, it's about manageability, for instance, through Windows Admin Center, which is uh, something they are pushing really hard on to use more and more the Windows Admin Center also in hybrid configurations. For instance, you could use Windows Admin Center on-prem to you know, manage and monitor also machines in Azure. And with Arc, you could do it the other way around basically. And there's also now a, I think it was also announced that Windows Admin Center can also be run from Azure. So you can spin up an Admin Center there and try and connect to your other resources. So that's also one. And uh, the last one will be uh, the containerization where they also uh, put a lot of effort in.
0: So if we look at the server 2022, if it's generally available, should I update or reinstall my service directly?
4: Or what should I do? Well, I don't know yet because we are still testing, right? So the first thing which always happens is with supportability of software. I mean, the operating system, it'll work and it's all nice. And you can probably install, uh, for instance, a domain controller or, you know, some basic file services. It will be more interesting to see what's going on with the applications which actually need to land on it because they do not yet, you know, support higher versions of Windows. I was just lucky that I could already test uh, if the SCOM agent is working on it and that's working, especially with the latest management packs, which are, you know, like version plus plus and uh, they don't really care anymore. So uh, that's a good thing. It's all waiting for the applications to be able to land on top of the Windows. And I think that's the whole waiting uh, game. Yeah, and it's good to hear that.
0: The SCOM agent is still working, so we can still monitor the all <laughs> the old way around.
1: Kenneth, is there something you have to add? Two things. The first thing is while preparing, I realized that actually upgrading our service has become quite common nowadays. We have trust in the fact that it will probably work with a higher uh, probability. And we used to come from a where actually a new server OS actually meant that we had to run a large project where we actually installed a new version of the server OS and migrated the applications on top of it. So I hope that we maybe related to the whole uh, hot patching story that within five years you said, ah, do you still remember that we had to reboot the servers in order to install patches? Let's hope it goes that way. The other remark I want to make is that, in my opinion, Microsoft is making a smart move by actually creating a single pane of glass, but now in the Azure portals when it comes to, for example, managing your Windows service through Arc or through other things. But they actually are doing the same thing with uh, Config Manager and Cloud Attach uh, and those kinds of things. I think that's a big plus, and therefore, once you are in that unified console, actually making the move towards cloud-based applications, for example, simply migrating your server towards Azure or any other platform, is a big plus. So uh, I'm really curious to find out if companies are really going to pick up techniques like Arc, Admin Center, but also tenant attached within Config Manager, et cetera.
0: And talking about
1: portals, (laughs)
0: Microsoft and portals, that's a huge thing, especially in the past years. Microsoft Endpoint Manager, Config Manager are combined in the past few months and looking forward to other initiatives on that. But one initiative around the security space is announcing XDR. Eric, can you elaborate a little bit more on XDR? That is not only converging some solutions, some portals, I think it's more. Yes, first we had
2: many GUIs and then uh, we uh, came to many portals. There is also a nice site, msportals.io, where all portals from Microsoft are displayed. And Microsoft is working on integration, security.microsoft.com. That must be the end place for everything. So what they decide, XDR is Defender for Endpoint and Defender for 365. They put it together. So you can follow an email, a malware, and how it's on your laptop within one portal with one system for all your incidents. So it's worked together. And the next steps must, of course, a Microsoft Defender for Identity and MCAS all separate portals so that will be the next steps to integrate it in one portal and they're also now uh, integrating it with sentinel There's not really my sweet spot to know everything about Sentinel, but that's the aggregation of all alerts and incidents. So the XDR system is you can have one approach with the Defender for Endpoint and the Defender for 365 in one portal. And now you can migrate it together if you have some specific settings. So it's really new, but security.microsoft.com is the end game for Microsoft to have all those different security portals. So from my opinion, from 1001 portals to 999 portals, and I hope if they announce something new, that they put it right in the security portal, not make a new portal. So it's a big step ahead. So you can relate, that's the key point. Relate, I don't know a percentage, but many problems come from email. Then you can really follow the malware and also some lateral movement, for example, like what happened on the SolarWinds thing. You start on one server, you go back to other servers. Then you have that in one view, patient zero, where they come in. That must
0: be the end game uh, which Microsoft is
2: going to build at the moment.
0: And the differences between XDR and Sentinel as a SIEM solution is more or less, XDR is more focusing only on the Microsoft cloud-only workplace, where you with a SIEM solution, with Sentinel for example, you can extend with on-prem solutions like a firewall, proxies, and other stuff. So you can correlate more devices, more incidents, more things to each other to get a clear overview of what happened within an attack. If we look at XDR, and I think nowadays it's Defender for Endpoint and Defender for Office, the next step will be Defender for Identity and all that sort of solutions within the Defender sweet spot will be integrated into that portal. So the first step is made and the next step will come in the next few months. So that's good. If we look at Defender for Office, there's one of the things within XDR that is not only saving your environment regarding Email, but also Teams. But also, there is a training capability within uh, Defender for Fish. Eric, is that something attack simulation that is announced? Is that something that we can use nowadays already? Yes, there was already something that you can set
2: up your phishing campaigns in the system. Oh, something wrong. But now you can have also training, and you can add to the users some uh, specific training, so you can test them with phishing, and you can train them from one portal because. Training, security, it's all in the game to have one strong chain to a secure environment. It's not only for the tech guys, it's the combination of all systems together and all users together to have one good line of defense to the system. So training is very important and
0: training the Microsoft things is also very important one of the key things is to train your users to be aware of phishing attacks, mainly the first step to get into your environment. So one of the key things is to train your users. Absolutely key thing. And good to see that Microsoft is making movement into that area. There was already, but it was really small. And with this step, I think they made a huge step partnering with a large account in the security awareness space. don't know exactly the name, but within that area, partnering is a good step to make that really useful for our customers, but also for us in that area. If we look at data loss prevention, data loss prevention is also part of the security space. Were there big announcements, Eric? Some expected with their announcements. I um, I touched it down for myself
2: about the complete security announcement from Microsoft. There were uh, identity, which you talk about uh, Kenneth, there are some security and uh, compliance is uh, the third one, which was very important. Last Ignite, they had the M365 insider risks, but there is now also data leakage prevention for Chrome, for on-premises file services, new controls for USB, for Windows, but also for the Mac. Which is also new. So, Microsoft is also more and more getting into the space of your no matter what kind of device it is, you can secure it by Microsoft. So, for me, the biggest announcement is not exactly that you can now follow or block USB kind of things, but that Microsoft is blocking USB on Apple devices and the uh, thread defense for your iOS is not from last Ignite, but that's the vision of Microsoft. OS doesn't really matter anymore. It's about the complete solution and you are the user, which is a model workspace uh, point of view, and you have to protect the data and advice is just the device the users using and how to prevent the leakage of the data. So from Chrome on premise, USB, data leakage, and you have the inside risk, the WikiLeaks from your own company, which is more and more important and follow a unified labeling and all that kind of stuff is coming together. It's really nice, but let's go to the practical side. I don't see many customers who are ready to implement this. So that is the new challenge to make everybody aware that is important for them. So that is, call it the next level of adoption for me. So that's about, uh, it's all about uh, announced compliance, M365 insider risk. You have the compliance secure score or some kind of score. So it's all there about uh, the compliance uh, business. And it's an important step for Microsoft security versus compliance
0: And compliance, no matter what device you are using. I think that is the biggest step that they are making. Kenneth, do you have uh, some additions on
1: that? Yeah, I think that especially everything that goes around in what we call the Microsoft information protection space actually will become a thing in the future. So what you see now is that I personally think that Microsoft doesn't have a full solution which is easy to implement yet, but that doesn't stop companies from actually starting with that. So I have a few customers actually implementing sensitivity labels, for example, at the moment, not enforcing anything, but actually requesting their users to start labeling their files as a start. That's actually where the biggest issue is, I think, as well. It's not a matter of implementing it. We can implement this in greenfield environments. It would be complex, but doable. But the issue is actually making this work in environments where we already have a legacy of more than 20 terabytes of data, which needs to be classified as well, before you can actually enforce your settings. And that will be an issue because the data is still growing within companies. That will be the biggest challenge, if you ask me.
0: I think we can close this topic down. I have one last topic. There were different new training materials announced, like new exams and new learning paths. Bob, probably you as a a Microsoft Certified Trainer and think Arnon is also a Certified Trainer, but is there something new
4: what we can learn from Ignite this time about certification? First of all, I'm not a Certified Trainer and I'm actually behind in my own certification for Azure. (laughs) That's one thing for sure. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I used to be at the front of everything. The thing is, I think especially when Microsoft was focusing on the security side more and more, there used to be only one exam for it, the uh, AZ-500. And now they announced that they will be adding four more security-related examinations for the several different roles. So there will be a security compliance and identity fundamentals one. So that's, as we call it, a one-star certification. And then there are three which have to do with the uh, associate level. So that's for information protection administrator and the security operations analyst. So that's more going through the data which is already being collected and trying to find paths and threats there. And there will be an identity and access administrator. So which has more to do with the access management through uh, Azure AD, for example. Those are some of the things which are already announced. And obviously, they are constantly you know, adding certifications to it. So also on the M365, I think, they were also adding some items there. And I think that is very, yeah, that's timely, let's say. Adnan?
3: Well, the nicest update or change that they've implemented is that you can do an assessment through Microsoft Learn instead of redoing everything. So let's say you've already gotten to a certain expert level. You can just do a quick answer a few questions through Markets of Learn, and you get your certification extended for another period. So that's really nice, along with extra fundamental exams, but the assessment thing and the new Windows Virtual Desktops that will be coming soon.
0: I see exams are in beta at the moment. I've done already three of them. So the fundamentals is really fundamentals. The identity and access admin was good to do because of an identity and access background. The security operations analyst is really hard to do if you're not direct familiar with KQL and all that sort of stuff. So please be aware of that. And the information protection will come nearly. And I have already done the assessments for two certifications that I had. And they are only asking Answering 20 questions, if you have a score about, I think it was 60 or 70 percent, if you are above of that, then you passed and you have an extension of one year or two years again for that certification. So it is done quite well and really simple to do, but you have to do something to extend your certification. And I think that is good in that area. I think with that one, we can close this recording. So a big thank you for listening and asking questions. The session was full of new content and hopefully we give you an overview of the things that were announced at Microsoft Ignite and what that means for you. So Bob, Adnan, Kenneth, Erik, many, many thank you for joining me in this session. The next event of our Workplace Ninjas community webinar is on the 30th of March where Dirk Jan will give a webinar about Azure Conditional Access, Attackers and You, the present and the future of attacks against the Microsoft Cloud. The next live askers anything will be on the 20th of April from 4 to 5 p.m. Central European time, of course, about expediting Windows 10 quality updates, And we have David Geyer as a Microsoft PM, as a guest on that show. So if you want to know more about Windows 10 and quality updates, please join them. For now, I say thank you all. And we'll see each other on the 20th of April in a new version of Live Ask Us Anything. So see you then. Bye-bye.